I'm Brian Tetta, executive producer of The View. It's Friday, and I'm here with Anna Navarro. This is Behind the Table. Happy Friday, Anna. How are you? I am fine. We have a very special guest in the room. Cha-Cha has made her triumphant return to the uh, podcast. I had forgotten that I had said she would never again be your plaything. Yes, I figured she'd... uh... After after the treasonous act you committed against her in that doggy contest, which you ripped her off on. Let me tell you. Because she, she won. She's not the first guest to say they'd never come back here, and yet... They always do. They always do. The power of the podcast, the power of the view. All right. So let's start here with a week in the life of Anna Navarro, as we often do. It's glamorous. It's exciting. It's uh, it's always interesting. Now, you flew straight from the show here on Monday to the Miami Heat Gala. Gala? Gala? Either way. Either way. Where I think, generally speaking, I may know more of the people that were there than you do. But tell me about it. You know... I don't know how it happens because I really don't know how it happens because, you know, I know nothing about sports. Yes. And uh, you're always the first to put on a jersey when they're in the championship. I want to point that out. Because I feel Mm -hmm. it's I feel it's all about community. It is. Unity. Listen, it's Miami. Mm hmm. When something good happens, it's Miami, it's Florida. When something good happens, we got to embrace it and celebrate it. And I love the way that it brings the community together, a very a community that's gone through a lot. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I'll put and I love the Miami Heat, mm-hmm. despite the fact that I know nothing, nothing, nothing about basketball. And I'll tell you why I love them. I love them because they are the team in Miami that has really led on being part of the community and helping the community their players, um, the scholarships they give. And uh, and over 20 years ago, this Miami Heat Foundation was founded by Chris Riley, that's mm-hmm. Pat Riley's wife, mm-hmm. and by um, Mickey Arison's wife. Mickey Arison is the uh, owner of Carnival uh, uh, Cruise Lines, and he's also the owner of the Miami Heat. And they have raised millions and millions of dollars and helped the community Alonso Mourning has been a huge part uh, with his ex-wife Tracy Mourning of of helping the community. They're just, they show up. I remember Dwayne Wade doing a lot for the Children's Hospital. They show up, they participate, they interact with the fans, they go into the neighborhoods, they help the charities, they help them with money, they help them with their presence. So I love the Miami Heat for that. And it was a really fun event. I got to tell you, Pat Riley was tearing the dance floor. They had in uh, Vogue, Vogue yes. as the entertainment. This, this uh, Players were dancing. They were singing. And they got up on stage. you is because you didn't, when we started this, when you showed me the, the Of course, invitation. I didn't know who they were. You but know, now, I, once you heard the music, you knew in Vogue. And you know what I did? I what? changed into a long gown in the airplane bathroom and went directly from uh from the airport. So I was walking around the airport <laughs> in a long gown and tennis shoes because I had to schlep from the gate <laughs> to the, you know, and I wasn't going to do it in heels. And so I looked crazy, absolutely crazy. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. All right. Well, listen, you uh, then flew to L.A. and you attended a very special party. Tell me about this. So I had to go to L.A. for a speaking event. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that um, that the vice president, Kamala Harris, was going to be in L.A. And um, 
meeting, uh, doing a meet and greet and just having an off the record conversation about uh, with some Latino, uh, Latino influencers, Latino uh, celebrities, Latinos from L.A. um, to hear the concerns, to hear the priorities, to hear the issues that are top of mind for the community. Um, It was convened by uh, Eva Longoria. And it was uh, really, uh, really a, a nice, nice uh, event. Um, and it was, it felt like familia. And I, I know um, you give me a lot of grief <laughs> for talking about some of the celebrity friends. But really, I, I'm really proud of how the uh, Latino community in, in Hollywood, which is grossly underrepresented, yes. pulls together for each other and helps each other and amplifies each other and lifts each other and celebrates each other. And so, like, right now, we're all incredibly happy that Eva Longoria's movie, uh, her first directorial debut, um, Flaming Hot, mm-hmm. the the theme song, Fire Inside, which was sung by Becky G, is nominated for an Oscar. We're very happy about America Ferreira being nominated. Right. But it was, an, it, was an, it was like a crazy group, right? So George Lopez was there. Uh, with with his daughter and George and Kamala Harris are longtime friends because uh, Kamala Harris's mom, who was a scientist, like a cancer researcher, loved George Lopez and used to go to his comedy shows and then hang with him until wee hours. When George Lopez first told me that story, I thought, surely he's high. Right. What what <laughs> could he possibly have to talk about with this cancer researcher? But the vice president has since confirmed it for me. And Ricky Martin was there. So, um, uh, you know, Edgar Ramirez was there, which was, so there was, it was, it was crazy because, you know, there were people of Mexican descent, Puerto Ricans, Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, Central Americans. I mean, it was, uh, it was great to have us all uh, in one room and be able to talk about the issues that are really, you know, worrying us right now. Absolutely. No, that's very cool. Um, All right. And, And then you also, had a very you so you've been kind of real housewives adjacent, which is new for you. This is exciting for me because it's pop culture, which we know is not your your favorite thing in the world. But uh, you've been having like airport and hotel run-ins. What what's going on with this? Everywhere I see them everywhere. So the the they were I guess they were the Miami housewives were here I guess last week or something. Right, filming the reunion, mm-hmm. and um, actually Julia. Uh, who is, uh, she's married to Martina Navratilova, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, I, I know and is a friend of mine. Right. Uh, Julia was staying at the same hotel, so they were all at the same hotel. And then I get on the plane, and there is uh, another one of them, The I forget her name now, the one that's married to the plastic surgeon. They're going through a horrible divorce. And then I get on the plane to go to L.A., and there is uh, this other housewife from Beverly Hills, Sutton, and Chacha runs straight to her. <laughs> oh, and I have to tell you, I get to um, Eva Longoria's house, and Eva has a dog that is the twin of Chacha. I saw this on Instagram. Gala. I didn't know which one was Chacha. Oh my God, Brian! Honestly, I could. I, I, I want to think that if I, that when I die, I want to think that heaven will be full of poodles, of miniature poodles. <laughs> Playing with these two doggies at the same time could be, could, I think, could cure me of anything. I love if, it. If, if the horrible 
um, uh, idea of Donald Trump becoming president becomes a reality, I may just lock myself in a padded room with poodles. Filled with poodles. Filled with poodles. I think that could get you and through. And tequila. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll start stocking up just in case for election <laughs> with night. With poodles or tequila? Rooms of tequila and poodles okay. for the host to, to comfort you if anything goes wrong. Um, well, that's really funny. So, all right. So, I mean, all these Real Housewives things coming up. We've talked on this show that it feels like Sunny is kind of tailor made for a Real Housewife casting. But is this something uh, we should be looking at for you? You're hanging out with these people now. Oh God, I don't have the cleavage for it. <laughs> I no, this is not something that. Also, I kind of feel like I feel like every time these housewives go on TV, like a lot of them end up. Divorced and having mm-hmm. issues because you know when you're when you're in a reality show and all of a sudden all the cracks and moles start showing in right. your relationships, things uh, yeah. things happen and and you know you completely lose um, your 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 privacy and you know and 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 everything that you say wrong. Well, I guess as it's opposed like, to the view, yeah. as opposed <laughs> to the view, where we have so much privacy and we're nobody and, and not 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 any scrutiny. No, no, I know way too much about everybody. So you know. Actually, Sutton, the one from Beverly Hills, yes. said, oh, my God, I want to be on your show. But we don't have them on much, do we? Not too much. We had the, the Vanderpump people on during that scandal. And we've had the occasional housewife, for sure. But it's not like a regular thing. I'm open to it. I, I'm, the Vanderpump thing, I'm not interested at all. Okay. <laughs> at all. <laughs> all right. Well, can you tell me who you're interested in? Maybe uh, if listeners are here and they want to weigh in, do you, do you want some housewives on the show? Let us know. Um, I, I kind of feel like some of you guys are into it and some of you aren't. It makes it kind of tough. But, right. you know, I, I. Well, but listen, I mean, when we started talking about the freaking Golden Bachelor, nobody, uh, you know, like half of us were in it. Half of us were not into it. And by the end, you even got Joy Behar in it. I'm, I'm the last holdout. Yes, you're the only one that never caved all the way. But, uh, I, I, you know, because we had the Golden Bachelor on the show and I don't think you were here that day, but he he kind of wooed them all. He kind of brought them all over. There's so much crying involved in that show. So much crying. Okay, we'll be right back. Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' group text podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. You mentioned in the Hot Topics meeting this morning, and I can't believe this is still going on, you are still deep into listening to Barbara Streisand's memoir, Um, My Name is Barbara. Now, this has been going on for months. It's a thousand pages. This book is a thousand pages. I've been listening to it in Audible, and it's it's like 50 hours of listening to it. I've been listening to it for a month. I've got things to do. And you're still riveted, which is great. I I mean, tell me. I'll tell you a couple of things. One, I'm riveted by how relevant some of the things that she's writing about still are. From her life. From her life. One of the things she writes about is... She was one of the first women directors. She really uh, broke glass ceilings with that. She uh, did Yentl. She directed Yentl and Mm -hmm. acted. She directed Prince of Tides and acted. Both of these films uh, got a bunch of nominations in the Oscars, except for the director, which we see is happening again with Barbie. Right. Right. And and she talks about uh, the sexism and the discrimination and you know she talks about all all that she faced as a woman director sometimes directing men mm-hmm. directing uh you know people who were part of of the crew that had a hard time taking direction from women and it's still happening it is still happening but Barbara Streisand definitely uh broke some uh glass ceilings and she mentions in the book I'm like down to my last I have a, I'm like I have like four hours to go of this book. I don't know what I'm going to fill my life with once I finish. But one of the things she mentions is when she was doing a concert here in New York mm-hmm. and it was sold out. It was sold out immediately. It was, you know, a huge thing because she didn't do she didn't tour for a long time. Yes. She's got a terrible stage fright and all of that. And David Letterman, for whom you used to work. Yes. Complained. For weeks that he couldn't get tickets to this concert. So she showed up on the show and dropped off two tickets on his desk. Mm -hmm. And he turned around and gave them away. Too. He's like he kind of was very nonchalant about it. He's like, okay, woman in the audience. Who here in this audience (laughs) wants to go to Barbara Streisand here? So she still hasn't forgotten that. Well, yeah, I mean, that was before I worked for Dave, but that seems very on brand. And uh, I can't imagine, I'm sure he has nothing but respect for her, but I still can't picture anyone less likely to sit in the audience at a Barbara Streisand concert than David Letterman. But that's just me. I I, uh, I think he probably thought it was funny to give him away, funny to complain about not having the tickets, and funnier, funnier to give him away when they came out. But she's still mad? Uh, she's still mad, <laughs> I, which is something that I love about her, because you know how I respect anybody that holds, holds a grudge. yes. And she wrote all, she kept copious notes. She kept notebooks uh, and diaries. And she knows everybody that wronged her. her, And she put it in this book. That's why it's a thousand pages long. That's pretty good. Which means if I ever write one when I'm 80, it's going to be 3,000 pages long. (laughs) Do you hold grudges? No, good. Of course I do. I hold hold grudges on behalf of people who forget them. Like it, it drives me crazy. That Joy Behar forgets things that were done to her. Yes. So I, I, I remind her, do you not remember when this happened? 
Yeah, I tried. And then, and then she gets all pissed. Uh, she all mad uh, all over again. That explains a lot, actually. Now I realize when uh, she remembers why she's mad at me. All right, um, we have a listener call for you. You know, we started this hotline where people can can call in, and uh, we have one here for you, and it's Jennifer from Philadelphia. Love the show. What is the one thing in your life that you look back on as being a pivotal kind of game-changing moment in your life? I think there's two obvious ones uh, that were really, you know, pivotal and game-changing. The first was the uh, Sandinista Revolution. Of course. In 1979 in Nicaragua, I was an eight-year-old girl at the time having a, a... beautiful, innocent childhood, gilded uh, life. And if that hadn't happened, I probably would be in Nicaragua, married to some, you know, farm owner, you know, that probably would have been my life. But our life changed completely when we had to flee our country and uh, and settle here. And, you know, that's that's it took a completely different direction. And then another pivotal moment, and I've talked to you about this, I've talked to our listeners about this, was when my brother died. I think um, my brother died, what, 22 years ago when he was 38, and I think that completely changed my perception on life. 38-year-olds aren't supposed to die. No. Um, and, and I adored him. And so, I, I, you know, I miss him. It makes me look at life, at my life, differently in the sense that I, I, I don't want to take it for granted. I don't, you know, I want to live it. Hard. I want to live it fun. I want to take the, the, the risks. I want to take the chances. I want to swim with the great white sharks. I, you know, I want to go to Africa. I you know, want to stretch myself professionally. I want to change in the airplane bathroom and then go to the gala. All of those Were you things. very different before that? Were you more reticent to do, take risks and do things? Yeah. Probably. I think I was, I, I just don't think I thought about it purposefully. Right. You know, it just, if I want, I, I don't think, I don't think, I, I don't think the idea of death was something that I thought about before mm-hmm. my brother died and the fragility of life. Right. And It's and a concept only until it actually affects you like I, that. I had yeah. had nobody close to me die until my brother died, mm-hmm. right? He was the first because... Uh, when I was born, my grandparents were already were had already passed away. I had never met any of my grandparents, and so to have somebody that close die. I was in my twenties when uh, when my brother died, mm. and so yeah, it, it hit me very very hard. I think losing her brother was pivotal for for Whoopi Absolutely. too. It's something. There's something about losing a sibling that's really oof, that's really tough because they're supposed to be with you for life. And like when my mom was dying and, you know, we went through those couple of years of sickness that were really, really hard for the family. I so wished he had been around to to share this with me, you know, um, and, 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 and I think about him and miss him terribly uh, all the time. I'm lucky enough to still have my sister, but she went through some very scary health challenges. So it, it's uh, it does shake you to your core and. and you realize those things and it, it's such a precious relationship, yeah. I think. And as the father of, of sisters, um, I see that and I see how special that is. And it's, it's really... remarkable how well your, your daughters get along. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. They, it's, it's occasionally gets stretched a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, they love each other very much. All right. And then we do have another caller. Uh, it's hard to follow on that, but it's uh, Danielle from New York. 
This question is for Anna. I'm a Democrat, but if the majority of Republican voters, such as yourself, do not support Donald Trump's policies and what he stands for, why are so many Republican politicians catering to the MAGA base because they're so afraid of losing their support in an election? Wouldn't it make more sense for members of the party to distance themselves from Trump so they have a chance at pulling in more moderates and independents when it comes to Election Day? Love the show. Oh, well, thank you for loving the show, Danielle. I don't know that the majority of of the party disagrees uh, with Trump. Certainly not the majority of, as we are seeing, not the majority of primary voters and not the majority of the base Um I think Donald Trump has firm control on the base, which is part of the reason why you see these Republican politicians uh, lining up behind him, because, uh, number one, the base, which is also the people that vote for them in primary elections, support Trump. And Donald Trump is very vindictive and will come after you if you don't line up uh, and, and show loyalty and fealty to him. I have seen him get involved in local races, like like commissioner races, school board races mm-hmm. of people who confronted him. He has come after most of those who confronted him, people uh, like Mark Sanford in South Carolina, people like Liz Cheney. Uh, who would have ever thunk that a Cheney would lose in Wyoming? You know who he reminds me of? Barbara Streisand. He reminds me of Don Corleone. Yeah. He's got a long, long book filled of people that have wronged him. Let me tell you something. If Barbara Streisand uh, (laughs) hears that you somehow (laughs) compared her to Donald Trump, Barbara, it was Brian. It wasn't me. It was a horrible joke. You know, one of the things that Barbara talks about a lot is um, she does an entire chapter on the the artist as citizen and the right and responsibility of artists to use their platform mm-hmm. to speak about issues. You know, this idea that basketball players should just shut up and dribble, that right. singers should not, you know, that Taylor Swift should not encourage her fans to register to vote. Uh, these things, you know, she addresses them. And again, incredibly relevant um, still. Absolutely. No, I know you feel strongly about that too. Um, you know, before we go, I just, I'm curious because Chris Christie, when he was here, talked about how he was 100% confident that Trump would not win a national election. Do you feel that level of confidence or does it make you nervous, the idea that he's a nominee again or could be, well, likely will be? I don't, you know, I don't feel 100% confident of anything. Uh, and I think it's folly to uh, take things for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Donald Trump is an incredibly flawed candidate and flawed human being. Uh, I hope that uh, that there's enough. Uh, first of all, I hope that Democrats come to their senses and realize that this is a binary choice and that it's a choice between moral and immoral, compassionate and evil, vindictive and good, um, you know, and, and between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. That's yeah. that's the choice. So I hope that Democrats stop wringing their hands, stop lollygagging and feeling this malaise and get with the program because this is an, a, a consequential, the most consequential election of our lifetime. And I hope that Republicans like Liz Cheney, like Adam Kinzinger, like, you know, like uh, others who are uh, who don't want Trump to get elected, Realize that it's important not to just not vote or write in somebody, but to actually 
take the step of voting for Joe Biden because it's that important. So I, I hope that somehow uh, Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris um, are able to energize their base and at the same time bring uh, bring the moderates, bring the uh, center-leaning uh, Republicans and bring the folks that are never Trumpers um, there. And I, you know, I... I I don't take anything for granted. I don't think uh, in politics you should ever think that anything is 100%. Yeah. All right. Um, thank you for joining me, Anna. On Monday, I will be back with Sarah Haynes. In the meantime, call or text us your questions for the co-host. Check the episode description for the number to our behind-the-table hotline. And thank you very much for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Behind the Table is executive produced by Brian Tedda. Supervising producers are Nathan Getty and Summer Shake, with production assistant Emily Darcy. The vice president of ABC Audio is Liz Alessi, and the executive producer of podcast programming is Laura Mayer. Special thanks to Lori Hogan, Susie Liu, Meg Fierro, Molly Kaiser, Josh Cohan, Ariel Chester, Frankie Perez, Audrey Mostek, and Dana Schaefer. Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' Group Text Podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit.